following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I know I'm not the tallest man in the world, but it is what it is, right? Praise be to God for being able to sing His praises this morning. What a wonderful God we serve and what a wonderful God we have. And this is the time of the year we come together um, where we pause just for a moment to remember the God who so loved that He gave. He gave His one and only Son so that we could have a relationship with Him. Uh, we do want to spend a little bit of time in, in prayer. and um, I've been asked, and I've also been asked to clarify, uh, when we open up our services, you know, we call for a time of prayer. There are different ways that we approach prayer, and uh, we have different segments throughout the uh, service uh, where we do spend time in prayer. And here in just a moment, we're going to have that time of intercessory prayer where we intercede on one another's behalf. That opening prayer time where we invite you to come and pray is, a, is sort of a different heartbeat and different mindset. Whenever we enter into the house of God, whenever we approach the Word of God, we, do, we want to do so with our hearts in tune. We want to do so offering ourselves. And so when we come to Him in prayer at that opening time, whether you are in your seats there or you come to the altar and pray with us, what we're doing is we're, we're asking the Lord to remove any distractions and to speak to our hearts. Why else would we come? were it not to worship Him and to hear from Him. And so this is our heart's desire when we open up in prayer. And so uh, I was asked uh, why we have all the different types of prayers. And when we close in prayer at the conclusion of the service, why, why do we, man, we, we pray a lot. Why do we do so many? Well, this is another time for us to pray and ask the Lord to take what we have sung, what we have learned, and help us to apply it so that we don't leave this place the same. We want to leave changed. When I go home, I don't want to be the same dad that I was when I first came. I don't want to be the same husband I was when I first came. I want to be different. I want the Word of God to change me. And it's up to me to be obedient to what God has shown me today. And so we, we have these different times of prayer, and we don't apologize. We, we would, we would <laughs> truth be known, we would be better if we spent the entire morning in prayer and you heard nothing from me. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we also have that portion uh, of the service as well. And so let's uh, spend just a little bit of time in prayer. 
uh, you be praying as, uh, uh, as I lead in prayer, be praying over the different things. And if you have uh, your copy of the uh, weekly prayer journal, something that was asked to be added uh, was uh, Sister Bonnie Gad's sister, uh, Maxine. Uh, they have asked hospice in, and so hospice is coming in. So be praying for, for them. And then in addition to that, uh, Bonnie's health as well. Be praying for her uh, as uh, she's struggling in certain areas. So be praying for that as well. Be praying also for the children uh, in the Shine Group. And those of you who maybe aren't sure what the Shine Group is, the Shine Group is the kids' opportunity uh, to serve. And we have workers and teachers who are working with them and helping them find ways that they too can serve and do things for the Lord. And it's, uh, it's an encouraging time. And if you're, able to, if you're able to be here by any stretch of the imagination tonight, please do so. You're going to miss a blessing if you're not here. I'm just letting you know. And no apologies. It, it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be a good time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God and Savior, we come before you once more right now, Father, asking for your help. Father, there are many of our number who are not able to be with us today because of illness. Perhaps some are traveling. Um, Father, there are many different reasons, I'm sure, that people could not come. Father, let those times be reminders to us of the times we could have come, yet chose not to come. Father, I'm asking on behalf of those who have that desire to be here this morning, uh, but health has prevented them from doing so. God, would you strengthen them in the inner man this morning? Encourage their heart and encourage their soul. Lift them up. I think of Dr. Desai and Sister Desai. And Father, that the, uh, that the Holy Spirit of God at this very moment would flood their living room. And lift them up and draw them ever closer to you, Father. That they would remember they are loved by the creator of the universe. Father, for Debbie and Dale this morning as well, as she's recovering, Father, that she would remember that she is in the great physician's care. And that, Father, the, uh, the healing that takes place is all at your command. Father, we... Think also of Brother Dave Timms, and Lord, I ask that you would call him closer to you through all that is going on. Give him health, but Father, above all, give him a, a hunger and a desire to praise you this morning. Father, I'm thinking of Sister Bonnie as she's home. Lord, that you would encourage her heart as well, that uh, the health problems would uh, subside, and that, Lord, you would uh, continue to give her strength. Father, for her sister, as uh, uh, hospice has been called in, that, God, we know your grace is sufficient, so we rely on that. Lord, I think of the children as they're going to be uh, leading the service this evening. Father, the workers that have uh, served tirelessly to help them uh, to be prepared for their pr uh, presentation. God, that you would help them to see the fruit of their labor. That they are not serving merely men, but they are serving the Most High God. And that, Father, they would find joy in that service. 
that they would find enjoyment in just simply being a child of the king. Father, we, we would be remiss to forget those who are spiritually struggling this morning. I know there are many, Father, who are uh, having a difficult time. Uh, uh, maybe they feel spiritually distant. Perhaps they have set aside the reading of the Word, or perhaps they have just simply experienced some uh, traumatic times that have pulled their attention off, or perhaps, Father, they are just having difficulties re- residing in this world. God, would you encourage their heart as well, strengthen them, give them a reminder that the Holy Spirit of God is there hoping and trying to be a comfort, trying to be a teacher. Father, I, I, I think of the children as they're getting ready to s- step into their class. I think of their teachers. And Father, it's so easy for us to grow weary in well-doing. It's so easy for us to get distracted and, and for us to get uh, off task. It's so easy for us, Lord, to serve because it's what we want to do or what we think we're supposed to do. But Father, we forget so quickly we're serving a risen Savior. So, Father, keep that at the forefront of our minds, that we would not become weary and bitter in serving you. Father, I pray for the service here that, Lord, if... If there's anyone, young or old, that doesn't know you as Savior, God in heaven, would you prick their heart this morning? Help them to see their need of a relationship with you. I pray, God in heaven, that those who are perhaps living a rebellious life would turn again, repent, bow the knee before the thrice holy God, and change, not leave the same. Father, the person who needs a hug this morning, I pray that you would give it. The person who needs correction this morning, I pray that you would apply it. And Father, at the end of it all, may our song be, praise be to God for his unspeakable gifts. Because it's in your son's name we pray these things, and not for our own sake, but for his. Amen. We'll open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Amos. Amos chapter number 8. And as we come to the conclusion of our study, and the children are being dismissed. Don't worry, I didn't make all the kids mad. They're just making their way to their class. But as we come to the conclusion of our study here in the book of Amos, we're going to do the best that we can to cover two chapters. Now, I know I have not gone into Amos in great detail. Uh, Several years back, I believe it was 2019, I went through the book of Amos on Sunday nights. Uh, If you have uh, the ability to get on our sermon audio page, uh, you'll be able to find that series in its entirety. So if you want a little bit more of an in-depth understanding of the book of Amos, I encourage you to go there and check some of the extra things. I know I've done sort of a cursory view of this, uh, trying to just simply pull out Christ uh, through these minor prophet books. But as we finish our study, we, we come to the last two chapters here, and these last two chapters encompass the last couple visions. We started looking at the visions back in chapter 7 that, uh, that Amos had, and we were there last Sunday evening. 
Uh, but we're going to cover these last two chapters this morning. Um, and as we come to this conclusion, we're going to see several areas of application, several points of application that we can make to ourselves in today's day and time. And it's important as we study the Word of God to see what it was written, what it was originally written about and to whom it was originally written, how did it apply to them. But it's also important for us to see how does it apply to us today because the Word of God is alive. It never ceases to be relevant. I don't, I don't like the idea so many people talk about making the Word of God relevant. No, the Word of God is relevant. Always. No matter what day and age you're in, the Word of God is relevant. Now, I don't have much time for someone who says, well, that part of the Bible was for a different day and time. No, my friend, it's all applicable to us today. All of it. All of it. Even the part that talks about future things and past things can be applied to us today. Let's take a look, and we're going to actually read in chapter 9, starting in verse 11, through the conclusion of the chapter there. And I wanted to start off here at the end of the chapter um, because this is the part that everybody looks forward to and likes. We'll cover the other part later, but stand with me, if you would, as we read God's Word. Starting in verse number 11, the Word of God says, In that day will I rise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will rise up his ruins. And I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the, the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Father, we ask that you would bless us as we obey your word. Father, the word being read, the word being preached, the word being sung, the word being lived. Father, this is truly our heart's desire this morning. Encourage us through your word and correct us where needed. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So as we come to this conclusion, probably should have brought two stools up. As we come to this conclusion, uh, the conclusion of this chapter here, we're going to see much in the text before us uh, of a time of, as a time of rejoicing, even though some of it, uh, before we see the rejoicing, we'll see it as a time of mourning. Now, if you remember, the book of Amos is uh, a, a, actually a, a poetical written book. Most of prophecy is written poetically, uh, but this is a dirge type of a, uh, poetry. You see it similar to Jeremiah's book, Lamentations, where it's just a constant lamentation, a constant crying or a wailing, so to speak. And the book of Amos is written much in the same way, but then all of a sudden, right at the very end of chapter 9, there's like this rejoicing moment. 
God's going to make things right again. As we look at this, it's important for us to realize our heart and our mindset in those latter days. And we started here at the end of chapter 9 because that's where we typically like to focus. We like to look forward to that day when God is going to make everything right and everything's going to be okay again. But let's just kind of examine the why behind that. I'm afraid sometimes we look forward to that day because that's the day we're going to get our mansion. That's the day we're going to get our crown. That's the day I get to walk on streets of gold. And those things are all byproducts. They're not the end result. They're not the the, the reason we should find our glory and find our joy in those moments. What we ought to be looking at and what we ought to be noticing in those times is that's the day when God's glory is going to be on display. And that's the day when people are going to bow before him and he's going to be the ruler and reign. He is not going to be ignored anymore. And that's something worth rejoicing about because we love him and we're excited about him and we can't wait to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's an exciting day and that's a day that we should hope for. That's a day we should look forward to. But my friends, if, if the only desire we have is my crown, my mansion, heaven, If that's the only desire we have, the day of the Lord may be a little unsettling for you. The day of the Lord is not about what you and I get. It's the day of the Lord. It's his day. You know, if if we set up a birthday party for one individual but that birthday party was giving gifts to everybody else. Is it really for that individual? You see, this is the mindset that we have. It's all about me. What do I get? And so, so often salvation becomes a me, me, me thing. Oh, so if I get saved, God's going to fix my problems. If I accept Christ as Savior, then God's going to make everything go well. My finances are going to stop being a travesty. My work situation is going to stop being a, a mess. My, my marriage is going to get fixed. My, my children are going to get fixed. If I get saved, everything is going to go well. No, 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 my friend. It's not about what you're going to get out of anything other than this. You get him. Whether your kids are okay or not, you get him. If my marriage doesn't get fixed, guess what? I have him. If I don't get that next job or that next raise, I still have him. If I'm not fixed and everything okay, I still have him. That's the thing to rejoice about. That's what salvation's all about, having that relationship with Jesus Christ, having that that one-on-one personal interaction with the God who created you. I've asked people before, if God wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go? Well, yeah. Oh, then you're just wanting heaven. You're not really wanting God. You see, this is what Paul said when he says, no one seeks after God. They want the benefits of God. They don't necessarily want the relationship with God himself. And so as we look at these last little bits 
let's examine in our hearts what it is that we are really hoping for. Go back to chapter number, one, chapter number 8 and look at the very beginning, verse number 1, verses 1 through 3. Thus hath the Lord showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day. And saith the Lord God, there shall be many dead bodies in every place. There uh, they shall cast them forth with silence. You see, this basket of summer fruit is, is given to us as a visual. Uh, God showed unto Amos uh, what looked to be the end. Now, we see a basket of summer fruit. Well, that sounds nice because we get into our mindset. When I was a kid, we would go, uh, my dad would preach at different churches around, and uh, we would go, and sometimes you'd go into the hotel, and there'd be a, there'd be a fruit basket. And, oh, you, oh, ooh, you get excited. Every once in a while, someone was smart enough to realize this guy had kids, and there would be cookies and candy in it as well. Not always. We have in our mind, we read something like, oh, a basket of summer fruit, how pleasant. No, it, they would have understood what was going on because you had the fruit that would arrive at the beginning of season. The fruit that was at the end of summer was starting to get to the place where it was rotting. It's at the end. The end of its life. You plant yourself a garden and you go out and you start to pull all the tomatoes and the, and the, the apples and the, you get the peaches and pears and you bring those all in. You set them on the table right there when they're ripe to harvest. You put them all in there. And sometimes you pull those tomatoes off and they're still a little yellow, right? But you got to leave them out for a little bit and then they start to redden. Yeah. And then you're looking at it going, now's the time for salsa, right? And you get excited. But you don't use them all up real quick. And then a couple days later, some sort of green fuzz is on there. This is what God's saying. Their time's up. Time is over. But there's another interesting statement that is made here. If you, if you notice in verse number two, he says, The end is come upon my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Now this is, God is, God is, such a wonderful God. And he uses this phrase, uh, which means that God will not spare them anymore. He says, I'm not going to pass by. In other words, I'm not going to ignore, I'm not going to spare them any longer. It's done. Time's up. They've been given mercy. They've been given grace. I've given them chance after chance after chance. No longer. That was their last chance. Actually, if you, if you look, it, it, it connects a couple places here. Go back to chapter 2. And look at verse 9 with me. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. I want you to notice something here. It says, Yet I destroyed, yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. This is an interesting thing, and you may be wondering, okay, what's that got to do with God saying, I'm not going to pass by them anymore? Jump back to Genesis chapter 15 with me. I want you to notice something here. Genesis chapter 15. Now, God is speaking with Abraham, and he's giving him a vision here. 
And just I want you to notice something that is found in Genesis 15, verse, look, look at verse 16, just, just the one verse. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. This is an interesting statement, and if, you, if, you, if you're not careful, you'll just read right past it. But he's talking to Abraham, letting him know that, he's going to, that God is going to give his family this land. But he says, not yet, because the wickedness of the Amorites has not exceeded my mercy yet. You see, God was very patient. People get really upset about the whole idea that God took from uh, the Canaanites and gave to the Israelites. But God was very patient with them, very kind, very long-suffering. He gave them year after year after year to repent, gave them many times to try to come back to him. And, and they constantly said no to God. No, I'm not gonna do it. I mean, if you even think about it from the, from the terms of Abraham, here's Abraham's family, and he's uh, uh, bringing bringing out uh, the uh, understanding of Yahweh, the one true God, the Canaanites could have very quickly seen this. When you have the, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, this was not something that was done in secret. Everybody knew about it. The Canaanites could have turned from their pagan practices to the one true God. I mean, if you think about it, if we got word uh, this, uh, this morning that fire and brimstone fell down on two major cities, I think people would want to wake up, but probably not. People would continue, oh, well, what a coincidence. Are you serious? And the Canaanites yet did not give up. So here's, here's what we need to understand. God was merciful to those Canaanite people for a very long period of time. But I want you to understand just how fair and how just God is. God is so fair and just that he will not leave the sin and wickedness of man to remain unchecked, regardless of who commits it, regardless. You see, we're quick to see how God did not let Canaanite uh, sin go unchecked. He made sure to bring uh, to bring judgment down there. He made sure to bring judgment to uh, uh, to the people uh, of Edom. He made sure to bring the judgment to the Amorites, to the uh, to the Hittites. He he brought judgment, but he'll bring it to his own children if he needs to. And here we have God in the book of Amos saying their time is up. In other words, yeah, the days of their wickedness it's filled up. God is fair. God is just. And he does not withhold judgment because somebody maybe has favored. Don't, don't misunderstand that. You see, in looking at this, it's important for us to understand also that God made a promise. <laughs> and he promised, I will not completely wipe out your and so God is true. He's a man of his word, utterly a man of his word. But understand that God does not ignore sin. Going back to the book of Amos. Notice this as well. Look at verse four. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land fail. 
saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and satisfying the balances by deceit. That when we buy, uh, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and and sell the refuse of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Pause for station identification. The excellency of Jacob is not saying the Israelites were wonderful. Their excellency was God. That's what made them great. That's what made them a wonderful people. It was God, and he's saying, I'm swearing by myself. Catch that. Look at verse eight. Shall not the land tremble for this, and every one mourn that dwelleth therein, and it shall rise up uh, holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt, and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun go down at noon, and I will, and it will, uh, I will darken the earth in the clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up uh, sackcloth. Um, uh, upon all loins and baldness upon every head. See, some of you that are holding on to your hair better wake up. And I will make it as the morning of, of an only son and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Wow. If you, that verse right there that we just finished, verse 11, if you come back to verse number five, saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat? Understand what he's saying. At the beginning of a new moon, every time a new moon began, they didn't do anything. That was supposed to be a holy day. And then the Sabbath day, the seventh day, every week, They weren't supposed to do anything. These were sacred days, holy days, where they consecrated it to the Lord. They gave it over to him, and they had their heart and their desire was, when is this gonna be over? Can't amount to somebody saying, well, tomorrow's Sunday. Uh, That windbag's gonna probably preach too long again. Uh, Hurry it up, let's go home. I can't wait to get out of here. We got service tonight, too. You don't have to get, you want to have a Wednesday night service? Are you kidding me? Oh, now you're going to have a revival meeting. Oh, my goodness. We got better things to do with our time, preacher. We don't want to be at church that many times. That's what they were saying. That's what they're saying. When is this going to be over so we can get back to life? When is this Sabbath thing going to be done so that we can start doing work again? I remember uh, Truett Cathy, uh, Chick-fil-A's founder. He was uh, talking, he was giving a testimony. I heard a recording of it. I never met the guy. But um, he was saying there came a time in his business where he wasn't doing very well, and he decided, uh, I'm going to open up on Sundays too. And he was talking to his dad about it, and his dad said, son, If you can't make it in six, you won't make it in seven. That's when he decided, nope. That's why Chick-fil-A to this day does not open on Sundays. How many times have you been hungry for a chicken sandwich after church and you found out they were closed? 
you pull in and you're like, man, this place is dead. Oh, it's Wendy's kids, you know, right? But it should be one of those moments when you go, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. How can you tell if a man is a man of God? Let me put it this way. The way you can tell a man tell a man of God from others is by seeing God in that man. See, Philippians puts it this way. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you don't have the will to do his good pleasure and you don't want to do his good pleasure and you're not doing his good pleasure, there's no evidence that God is in you. So how do you know a man of God? By seeing God at work in him. That's how you know. That's how you see it. You know, we can be so uncaring to God. So uncaring to God. We don't even think another thing of it, but if, if you had a friend who was uncaring to his wife or she was uncaring to her husband, would you let that go? Let's, let's make it a little more personal, moms. Moms, if you had a son whose wife didn't care about him, would you be okay with that? Hey, dads, you had a daughter whose husband didn't care for. Would you be okay with that? Why are we okay with treating God with very little care? We make it all about us. When is this going to be over? Hurry up. I can't wait for him to close the Bible so I can wake up my husband and we can go home, right? Let's take a look at something else in this. Because again, as we look through there, God recites the crimes. We've seen it over and over and over. And one of the major things was their uncaring attitude toward one another. Completely uncaring. And God recites the crimes that the disobedient had committed. And we must be aware that God sees all and knows all. Look at verse 7 there. It says, the Lord has sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. That's something that ought to strike fear into the heart of some people this morning. I, I, I want us to understand just how wonderful God is. We must be aware that his memory is impeccable. He forgets nothing that is not forgiven. He forgets nothing. You see, the memory of God, that, the, the fact that the memory of God is impeccable should not only remind us that there's a day of reckoning, but it should also give us an amazing feeling of security in his provision. Let both be true. There is a day when man will have to give an account to God, and those who have refused him, those who have rejected him, will one day face that God and give an account and give an answer for why they rejected his son. Those who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God, yet will not yield to the Holy Spirit of God in their life, will not yield to his, his leadership and his guidance, will not yield to the Word of God, will one day stand before God and give an account to that. 
But the fact that his memory is so all-encompassing should not only drive us to that kind of a, a conclusion, it should also remember that God made this promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His memory of his own promises and his memory of the fact when he looked at you and he said, forgiven, he'll remember that too. We gotta remember how wonderful he is. Goes back to the first statement. He is just and he is so fair. He is so even. And nothing is forgotten by God. Nothing. He chooses to forget when he forgives. He says, that's under the blood. I'll remember it no more. (laughs) I'll remember it no more. You see, it it reminds me, go to to Hebrews chapter eight. Look at Hebrews chapter eight. We went through the book of Hebrews not too long ago. This hopefully will be fresh on your mind. Look at Hebrews chapter eight. And look at verse 12. He says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. You ready for this? And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's a purposeful statement. He's deciding to put it away. Go to chapter 10, same thing, verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Have you ever regretted something you did in your past? And you look back at those sins that you committed years ago, and and you've asked God to forgive you for those. You've confessed them before the Lord. Maybe you've even confessed them before the person you sinned against. And that God said, forgiven. He said, it's in the past. It's done and over with. But then years later, we're still driving ourselves crazy with the guilt. And we wonder, has God forgiven us? My friend, he's forgiven. And he'll remember it no more. That's Jesus. Go back to Amos with me. Boy, I hope if you're here this morning and you're just wondering to yourself, has God forgiven me? I hope that I put the nail in the coffin of a yes, resounding yes. If you have accepted his offer, you gotta turn to him. Notice this next thing. Under the wrath of an almighty God, look at what it says in, Verse number one of chapter nine. It says, I saw the Lord standing upon an altar and he said, smite the lintel of the door that the posts may shake and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. And he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid uh, from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, 
thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. This is a difficult one for people to swallow. Oh, God is good, 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 good. He doesn't do evil. Evil in the sense of sin, you're right, he doesn't. Evil in the sense of not enjoyable, he must. He must punish sin. He must pour out wrath on sin. And we can look at this and we go, oh, how horrible that you believe in a God like that. No, no, no. How wonderful that I believe in a God like that. Because that same God who says he's going to pour out his wrath upon sin, he's going to punish sin, is the same God that we're about to celebrate a week from today, sent his son so you don't have to experience it. That's the God I serve. That's the God of the Bible. You know, understanding what we see with this, we, we need to understand we cannot escape giving an account. Every time God tried to get uh, uh, the Israelites' attention, every time he tried to, uh, to get them to understand they could not hide from God, they were racking up wrath against the day. And the same is true for us, my friend. Every time that the word of God has been presented to you and you have rejected it, Every time the offer of salvation has been presented to you and you rejected it. Every time those of you who are born again by the Spirit of God was, was shown something in the Word of God on how we ought to live for God and you have rejected it, you are adding that up and there will come a day where you and I will have to give an account to this. You can't hide from it. You can't hide from God behind your spouse's spirituality. You can't hide behind your parents' spirituality, your upbringing, your nationality, whatever it may be. Every time we ignore his word, every rejection, we'll answer for it. You know, we have a personal God. We need to understand that. Which means not only do we have a personal God, but we have a personal relationship. It's not a matter of your, your spouse's relationship. Well, I've got a relationship with God, so my kids are okay. Eh, wrong. Your kids got to have their own relationship with God. So you need to be teaching your child how to have a relationship with God. We cannot blame our society. We cannot blame our surroundings either. We are responsible for it. I want you to notice something else here. We see that we are saved by the grace of God. Look at verse five. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land and it shall melt and, and uh, all that dwell therein shall mourn and it shall rise up holy like a flood and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth up his stories uh, in the heavens and hath, uh, fa uh, hath founded his troop in the earth he that calleth for the waters and the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought thee up, Israel, out of the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtar and the Syrians from Kir? 
Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth, say, uh, uh, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. You see, remember that God sees all. It tells us there in verse eight, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom. God sees all. Now, this can be a fearful thing, but it can also be a comforting thing. Just like we looked at a while ago, we can see both sides of this. Realize when you step into sin, God sees. But realize when you're hurting, when you're struggling to see what tomorrow may hold, God sees. God sees it all. Let's us know right here. The while the day of the Lord will be a dark day for many, those who remain are going to be sifted. Look at verse 9. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Not only does he see the sinful and the wicked, he also sees the righteous. He sees them. There's going to come a day where he takes that sift he sifts out, and what will remain, he won't lose one of them, not the smallest kernel. He won't lose any of them. Jesus said, all that are mine, the fa- all that the Father hath given me, I will not lose one. You tell that to the person who says you can lose your salvation. Jesus said, I won't lose one of them, not one. But here's the issue that we run into. This sifting for many will be a frightful thing. But for some, it'll be a day of rejoicing. We sing at Christmas, joy to the world. Let me, let me read this song. And Brother Dell read from the passage earlier that was the inspiration for the song. And I want you to see this. Joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. That's coming. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows reign, grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations, all of them, prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. My friend, this is about the day that we are looking forward to, the second coming of Christ when everything is going to be right. That's joy. Joy. My friend, a better democracy won't help. A better monarchy won't help. You know, we look at these things and we forget so often that Jesus is the only answer. The only answer. 
The people of Israel wanted a king because they didn't like the way the judges worked things. They thought a king would make things better. And they got Saul, a poster child for anger management classes. Oh, goody, let's get a different one. They got David, a murderer who stole another man's wife. Well, maybe the next one will be right. They got Solomon. That was a wonderful thing. What was it? What idiot wants that many wives? I do well to keep one happy. Oh, how do you, why would you take that? And what happens there? He brings all these wives in with their gods and their pagan practices. Yeah, that was a, that was a good thing, <laughs> right? Well, then we go to Rehoboam. And Rehoboam raised the taxes. Well, you know what? The right idea then is to split this kingdom in two. That made things better, didn't it? And they kept going for king after king after king after king after king after king after king, king, thinking this will make things right. None of it worked. And my friend, every four years when the election comes along, all we hear is this person's going to fix it. This person's going to fix it. No, this person's going to fix it. This person's going to fix it. And then we end up with four or eight years of people going, well, he's not fixing it. We need a different one. That's because they can't fix it. The only thing that's going to fix it is joy to the world. The Lord has come. That's the solution. That's the solution. It's Jesus. We've got to quit relying on another democracy or another monarchy. It's not the answer. Not the answer. Let's look at this and we'll come to a conclusion. You see, many have viewed Christ's coming as a reaction. It's like he made everything right, people messed it up, and he had to do this. No, 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 my friend. He had that plan before the foundations of the world. He knew he was going to have to come before he spoke the worlds into existence. Not accurate to say that God was reacting to the situation. God knew all of this. He knew that the world would rebel. He knew that his son would need to come. He knew about the cross. No reaction, foreknown decision. He made that decision known. And so when we look at Christmas, I want us to understand something here. Christmas is not a time to celebrate God figuring things out and finally getting things right. No, no, no. Christmas is a time for us to celebrate the mercy and grace of an all-knowing, all-providing God. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. It's about the Christ coming for you to give you an opportunity to know him. Let me ask you these, just a few questions here, and we'll be done. First, what will the day of the Lord be like for you? Will it be a day of darkness and gloom? Will it be a day of joy and rejoicing? What will the day of the Lord be like for you? As you celebrate Christ, and here we come just in seven more days, 
We're gonna be celebrating the Christ child. As you do so, don't forget to look forward to his return. Look at that babe in the manger and say, praise God, I can look for the day of the Lord as a day of rejoicing because of that child. The day of the Lord is not gonna be darkness for me. Is it for you? Second, what will that day be like? Will it be a time of rejoicing? And third, hmm, do you look forward to the time of no more sin or are you living like you're trying to enjoy it while you still can? A lot of people looking forward to that second coming. No more sin. No more is it gonna affect me. I'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Or are you living a life that's saying, I better get it in while the getting's good? Have you personally experienced that grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? The grace and mercy that Jesus came allowed himself to be put in the form of a baby, the creator of the universe had his diapers changed for you. The creator submitted to sinful parents for you. Let this year be different. Let the celebration of Christmas this year Arise to his nostrils, a sweet-smelling Savior. No more about me. No more about what I get out of. And if you've never experienced that kind of relationship with him, let's enter the Christmas season right here. Get to know him today. If you're just not sure, well, I, 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 I thought I was saved, but damn, preacher. Old Yeller made me cry, but nothing about what you're talking about bothers me. Maybe I'm not saved. You can cry over a make-believe dog, but not over the fact that God loves you. Maybe you don't know him. Young man asked me not too long ago, a couple, couple different people have asked me, how do I know when I understand justification? When you read John 3, 16, with your eyes full of tears, that's when you understand. When John 3, 16 ceases to just be the most popular verse and it drives you your knees. Praise God. Father, we offer ourselves to you this morning. Use us in whatever way you see fit. Affect our hearts and our lives in whatever way you deem necessary. Father, change us, please. Make us more like your dear Son. Convert us 
help us, Father, as we submit to what it is that you have exposed to us this morning. Whatever, whatever may be affecting our hearts, Father, that we would not leave this place without having addressed it, dealt with it. I pray, Father, that you would be pleased in our response to your word. Father, as we bend our need to you and we bend our will to you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.